While they're headed back there, let me um, invite you to open your Bible, if you brought one, to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1. This has been the craziest uh, season of my life, and I guess my short 40 years. And this verse uh, in Hebrews has just been sitting on my mind, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, looking to Jesus. And in this crazy season, what do the believers of God do when things get crazy? We should do the things that we do in life when things aren't crazy, and that's just look to Jesus. But my hope is through this season is we have a a bit more intense focus Certainly for the next several months as um, our nation leads into this election cycle. But even more than that, maybe this would be another refresh, a calling again for us to focus our mind and our heart and our eyes on Jesus. We're going to do that through the gospel of John. If you've been with us very long, you know that uh, we went through the gospel of Luke um, many years ago, and it took us many years, took us three years to get through it, and I'm going to try to move a bit quicker pace here, no promises, we're going to go as the Holy Spirit leads us, but some of the things you miss when you go really slowly through a text is you miss the forest for the trees, and so I want to, uh, so we're going to, you know, pan out and then zoom in, and we'll do that a few different times, but by way of introduction, let me introduce the book of John to you, and that'll give you a little context Um, it's the fourth gospel listed in the New Testament. And so if you go to the New Testament, you'll see the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. It's probably the last of the four written, and it was written, most scholars think, in view of what the other three had written. So they were looking, uh, John was looking back at what had already been recorded of the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he was filling in and adding things that the others may have missed, We call those first three the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which just means seen together. We see those together. The first three, those synoptic gospels, focus more on what Jesus did, and John focuses more on who Jesus is. So you might say the first three are historical accounts of all that Jesus did, and John is this firsthand personal Almost this uh, biographical sketch, journal entries about who Jesus actually is. And so with John, we get a lot more emotion, how things were felt, how things were seen. John shows us who Jesus is by highlighting the seven miracles um, of Jesus in the book of John. Six of these miracles aren't mentioned in the other uh, three gospels. John also shows us who, who, who Jesus is by giving us these um, I am statements that aren't included. And these probably are my favorites. As you read through the book of John, and I'm just, this is about as excited as I get. I am so excited about going through this book. These I am statements, I was trying to, we were talking in staff, I was trying to pick up my favorite chapter in the book of John. And we just kept going. And I thought it was John 7. We talked about that some. And then 13, then 14, then 15. John 17, what an incredible passage John 17 is. I don't know if I can land on just one. There's so much here. The purpose of the book, John defines for us in chapter 20 and verse 31. He says this, 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, get this church, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. Not just eternal life or salvation when you die, but life today in his name. John doesn't tell us much about himself in the gospel, but from the other gospel accounts, we know a little bit about John. Many think that he might have been the youngest of the disciples. His father was Zebedee. His mother was Salome. She's one of those that went to the tomb early in the morning, the resurrection, and found out that uh, Jesus wasn't there. John's brother was James. James and John were partners in the fishing business of Peter. I love this. John and his brother James were given the nickname, the Sons of Thunder, which is just awesome. I don't know if you have any, if you have boys as your kids, and you know, they're different kinds of boys, but there are some boys that accurately are nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They're the people that you have got to keep an eye on, or they are going to run their head through your drywall, or their hand through the glass. They're going to do something that's pretty destructive. I remember when we first started meeting as a church... Ten years ago, uh, one of our groups in Benton were meeting, and they would go upstairs after the, the community group meeting, and they would find knife holes all in the drywall, and they were trying to figure out, and finally they did. They figured out it was this little boy, a son of thunder. That's just exactly who, who that is, and this is who John is. They were on the inner circle of Jesus. They got to see the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see some things. They got to go even closer in the Garden of Gethsemane and pray with Jesus. The passage we read earlier might be the most beautiful written passage in all of history. I want to read it to you again. St. Augustine is attributed with saying that John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim, but shallow enough for a child not to drown. Got this little picture of an elephant swimming. And maybe this would be what our journey through the book of John is. Deep enough for an elephant to swim. If you don't mind, would you stand with me one more time as we read this passage? And I want you to just focus. We're going to read the the whole thing. 18 verses. It's going to be on the screen. But I want you to listen to it and read it even if you got it in front of you. And may the beauty of this passage just capture your heart. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from John, from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God's word. You can be seated. I'm going to pray, and if you would pray silently where you're at as I pray aloud, and we'll just echo the prayer that Phil led us through just a moment ago. Would you pray that the the God made flesh that this passage talks about would speak to your heart even this morning. Lord, what a holy moment that we get to read your perfect and inspired word aloud. And I pray for our hearts, Lord, that it would be sown into the soil of our own hearts and it would produce a difference in our lives. Even as this passage talked about Jesus, that you are full of grace and truth, may we see that and experience that even today in our short time as we study it. Illuminate the truth for us, Holy Spirit, that we may see the face of Jesus. And by seeing Jesus, we would see God the Father. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. So much here in chapter 1. Of course, there's no way we could cover everything. I encourage you to take time to read it during your week. I was made aware earlier that some of our uh, missional communities and our discipleship groups are actually walking through the book of John. And uh, that's, that's incredible. The book of John is, the, is what I encourage any new believer or even, even skeptical um, uh, people who are trying to wrestle with this idea of Christianity, I always encourage them to go to John's gospel. So plainly does he describe who our Savior was. There's one theme that runs through the entire book, and that is this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you commit your life to him, yourself to him, you not only gain eternal life, but you gain life even now. John records seven names and titles of Jesus just in this first chapter. And so we're going to talk about those. Just briefly, we're going to get to a few of them today, a few of them next week. But just in chapter 1, there are seven names or titles that are given to Jesus. The first is that of the Word. You see that in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the Greek word Lagos. The Greek philosopher saw the Lagos as the power that puts sense into the world, making the world orderly instead of chaotic. The Lagos was the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it going in perfect order. They saw the Lagos as the ultimate reason or the source of wisdom that controlled all things. They were always searching for it when they would meet and have philosophical debates. It was all around this. Where do we find the source of wisdom? Where do we find the Lagos? John starts it in 
chapter 1, verse 1, was in the beginning was the word, the logos. And all the Greek philosophers would agree. And the word was with God. And they would shake their head and nod in approval once again. Yes, we believe the word, the logos, with God, with this prime mover, with this originator of life. The word was God. Maybe their ears and eyebrows perk up a little bit. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John had their attention. Who was he? He was the word. He's the light. Verse 4 talks about in him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus, the true light, the original of which every other light is a copy. But the Jews in this day were content with the copies. They had Moses and the law, the temple and the sacrifices. And they didn't comprehend what these lights pointed to was the true light. Jesus, who was the fulfillment, the completion of all the Old Testament prophecy and practices. He was the son of God. Verse 15 John bore witness about him and cried out that this is whom I had said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Goes on and later on in verse 28 and verse 49, just talking about the son of God. Jesus Christ reveals who God is to us. Verse 18. No one has ever, ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The way that you know who God is is through the person of Jesus. And this is the beauty of this Trinitarian belief of these three that were together in the beginning and the Holy Spirit always pointing to light to Jesus and saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And then as we gaze upon Jesus, Jesus is pointing to the Father and saying, look at the Father, look at the Father. We cannot see God on our own. We can see God in nature, Romans, uh, Psalms 19 says, Romans 1 says. We can see his mighty works through history, but we, can see, we can't see God himself. But Jesus came to reveal God to us. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1 says. The exact imprint of his person, Hebrews 1 says. Jesus Christ explains God to us and interprets him for us. Anytime going through seminary, studying classes and courses like systematic theology, when we look at what is God's character throughout all of Scripture, and we would see these things about God, and it would get real detailed and real skeletal almost. One of my professors, as I was struggling with some of this and just kind of walking through the fog of learning about these things about God, one of my professors said, you know, it's one thing to dissect a butterfly, it's another thing to watch it fly. And I thought that was just such a beautiful way of describing this very thing. When we talk about who God is, 
a theology removed from the person of Christ is no real theology at all. You want to know who God is? We look at Jesus Christ. You want to know what his temperance is? We look at Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. Verses 29 through 34 we'll talk about. We'll see this next week. In one sense, the message of the Bible can be summed up in this very title. The question of the Old Testament is where is the lamb? Remember Abraham in Genesis 22 looking for the lamb that is to be sacrificed? That's the question, where is the lamb? And in the four gospels, the emphasis is just here, even as we've read, behold the lamb of God. He is the Messiah, verse 35 through 42. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed. The Greek equivalent would be Christ. The anointed one. He's the king of Israel, verse 43. From the line of David, he would be the greater king than David had ever been. One to never fail or stumble. Verse 50 and 51, he's the son of man meaning he's the living link between heaven and earth. And on and on we could go. We get to see Jesus up close. There's three words I want to focus on in this breadth and incredible passage. Just three. The first word is known. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. Verse 18, no one had ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, but he has made him known. There was so much mystery as to who God was. The Jews were even in awe and so fearful to even mention or even write his name. And yet Jesus came close. He came into humanity and did life with people. He walked the roads they walked and struggled with the same struggles, was tempted by similar temptations. And that wasn't necessarily required. Sure, he had to die to save us, but he didn't have to do life with us. But the great God of the universe that created all things, that opened his mouth and out came everything made that was made, stepped into his own universe Tim Keller says it this way, that he willingly put himself in the form of witness. I just love that quote. He's come alongside. He's made it available for people to be with him. So what we talk about at Christmas, God with us, God coming near us, God in the flesh coming close. Every time God had come in the past, he had come in ways that scared people to death, his glory the kavod of God, his weightiness would scare people to death. When he appeared to Job, he came as a tornado. When tornadoes come today, we gather in the most innermost room so that we won't be harmed. One of the scariest things in the world is to be in the path of a tornado. When he appeared to Abraham as a smoking furnace moving through the air, incredible heat. When he appeared to Moses through a pillar of fire or a burning bush. And Moses even wanted to see more of God and said, God, I want to see more. And God said, you couldn't handle it, man. I'll let you look where I once was. But Jesus didn't come as any of those. He came in humility, in humanity. 
When the first of his followers encountered him, they asked if he was the Messiah, and he just invited them to come and see, to come and be with him. For the audience that read this, we're familiar with this. We celebrate this. We've heard this. But for the audience that read this, their jaw would have hit the ground. You mean the wisdom of the Logos is on earth and he came in the form of a baby? And more than that, he comes from Nazareth? God made himself known through the person of Jesus. And he still calls out to us today. He's still inviting us in, even today. Inviting you to come and follow him. To come and see. To come and walk close. Come to me, he invites us. The next word I want to focus on is truth. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. For the law, verse 17, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We live in a world that likes to paint everything gray. Phrases have emerged like your truth, follow your truth, relative truth. But John doesn't allow us to look at Jesus like that. As we go through the books, you're going to see his categories are pretty defined. There's light and there's darkness. There's truth and there's lies. There's Jesus and there's Satan. There's heaven and there's hell. And Jesus has come to define what truth would be for us. He has come that we would know God, have a relationship with him, walk in him, walk with him to reveal truth to us. Jesus was and is truth. I love that song we sang, started off this morning, of Jesus' declaration, one of his I am declarations in John 14, the way, the truth, and the life. Let me ask you this, who do you trust to tell you the truth these days? Who do you go to? I was talking with several of you this week, like where, where do we even go for the truth? can't find truth anywhere everyone spins it distorts it embellishes it hides it I just want the truth can I watch the news somewhere and just get the truth just as it is we we live in a society of everyone redefining what truth is the same was true in this day everyone wanted to choose their own truth even says that in verse 11, that he came into his own and his own people didn't receive him. Meaning they pushed him away. The sin of Adam and Eve. God, I know that you've said that life is supposed to work this way. Thanks for the advice, bro. I'm going to choose to do things my way. My truth. And the sin that crept into the world then and still plagues us now is that same decision. When God clearly shows us what the truth is, and yet we want to redefine it, we want to contextualize it, we want to add commentary to it so that we can explain away the truth. This little verse describes mankind's response to God coming near. Get out of here. We've kicked him out of the public square, we've outlawed him at our events. We've slowly pushed him out of our homes.
And many of us, even now, listen, I feel the Spirit of God with us this morning. The Holy Spirit wooing your own heart, leading you to repentance through his kindness. There's an inner struggle in your own mind and heart, even right now, to strong arm him. Get away from me. I want to do things like I want to do them. Jesus came to tell us the truth, to show us the truth about sin and brokenness. If you don't see the sin and evil in our world now, then you'll never see it. It is everywhere. The hurricanes in the Gulf, the fires in California from a broken creation, the groans for everything to be made put put back right, the evil speech, the vitriol between people, even people who both call themselves Christians, slander and gossip, the burning of churches and Bibles, the brokenness of a world is so evident in every arena, the hatred online kind of just pulls it out, just spend, spend a few minutes reading the comment sections of anything, and you're like, who are these people? All of this is the effect of sin in our world. Jesus came to show us the truth. And out of his mouth, that truth is there's a problem. And that problem is sin. But it's not just the sin out there, it's the sin in here. James made this point very well in chapter 3. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with the same tongue, we curse men who've been made in the likeness of Christ. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, he says, this should not be. Even in the church, those redeemed by God. Yet with the same mouth that we're singing these beautiful songs like the doxology this morning. This afternoon, we'll be using that same voice to curse men made in God's likeness. Just the level of sin that we're okay with as Christians, that we let creep into us. Not even fighting against it, no pursuit of holiness. Listen, friends, God hates sin. He is angry about sin. And the sin is as much in here as it is out there. second bit of truth that Jesus came to tell us was not just that there's sin, but to make us aware, to tell us the truth that we cannot save ourselves. So many things today that offer self-salvation. If I just work a little harder, if I just do a little better, I'm going to reach this self-salvation. I'm going to pull myself out of the pit. The solution to COVID-19. Maybe we think that's going to offer the self-salvation. Once we get a vaccine or treatment, things are going to get back to normal. Friends, if whatever we had before COVID was normal, I want nothing of that. We need revival, not normal. Lord, increase the pain if you have to. So your people get desperate for you. We look for salvation through politics, isn't Isn't that what both candidates running for president now offer? If you elect me, 
Listen, I have voted in many elections, and I can assure you that there's no politician who is your salvation. If only our guy or our girl would win and get in office, then everything would be better. Listen, I do believe this. There's some good in politics and legislation can be used to give freedom, protect the vulnerable. Let me be clear, though. Our salvation will not be in our next president because our problem is not a political problem. It's a sin problem. And Jesus is the only one that can handle the the problem of sin. We have a problem of the heart. People think that salvation can be found in just a better situation, a better spouse, a better boss, or a better job. Or this next season, once my kids are grown, or if I just made a little bit more money, or as soon as this crisis is over. But that season never comes. People look for it in the church. Salvation through the church. Listen, I love the church, the gathered body of Christ. But we don't offer salvation in ourselves Our programs will never deliver salvation. Our leaders can never bring salvation. The church itself, so much brokenness. Listen, if I haven't let you down yet, I will. I promise you. It's just a matter of time and you're going to see. I cannot bring salvation. The best I can do, the best we can do is point you to Jesus. We think maybe advancement's going to do it. Better education better technology, and yet today we have the highest standard of living than any culture who's ever lived. And what do we do with it? We create poop emojis with our technology. We literally have a poop emoji. Better health care, better education, science progression, space exploration, and on and on we can go. And what's the result? We're more anxious, we're more discouraged, We're more depressed, we're more suicidal, we're more bitter, we're more angry than ever before because there's no advancement that's going to bring salvation. And this is why Jesus came to speak the truth to us about our own sin and brokenness, to remind us that there's no quick fix, there's no answer in and of ourselves. We can't pull ourselves out of the pit. We need a new heart. We need to continually be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus came and spoke truth. The other word that might capture your mind and heart as we read it earlier is this word grace. Grace. And we have seen his glory as the Only son from the father full of grace. Verse 16, for from his his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Has a more beautiful word ever been spoken? Grace upon grace. The grace of God through Jesus is the beautiful solution to the problem of sin that plagues us all. I love this phrase, grace upon grace, this inexhaustible supply of grace. It is literally the picture of a solo cup trying to, you need some water, you go and you stick it under the Niagara Falls. And you don't just get a cup, there's just water upon, there's water everywhere. This is this picture of grace upon grace. 
This inexhaustible supply, God's grace to his people is continuous and never exhausted. It knows no interruption. It has no limit. It is grace upon grace. Now, does this mean that God is weak on sin? Absolutely not. He's not flippant or easy on sin. Part of grace is Jesus coming to tell us the truth, to show us what the good life really is, what real life, true life that can be held looks like. But he does it through grace. He shows us grace in how he comes. He comes and makes his dwelling among us. He sort of sneaks into the world and spends 30 years in basic obscurity, working hard, misunderstood, dealing with all the brokenness in our world. And yet from him emanating grace. Dorothy Sayers says this, for whatever reason God chose to make him, to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has gone, he has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and even death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Jesus came in humility and in humanity to show us that Jesus didn't just come to forgive us, but to be with us. He shows us grace and how he comes, and he shows us grace and who he came for. He didn't come for the person who has their life all together. He came for the outcast and the sinner and the orphan and the broken, for the failure, for the guilty, for the sick. It is an unmatched love in our world to see the heart of God. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul will pick up on this theme in many different places. He'll talk about it as adoption, as we've been adopted into the family of God. But this sort of adoption is not the sort of adoption that we're familiar with, and I am for adoption. I love if you talk to some of these adopted families as God moved their heart to go and adopt from China or across the city or across the country. And there's this period of waiting where they know that their child is where they're at and they're pursuing and they're paperwork and planning trips and it just hadn't come and they'll start referring to them as their daughter their son. My son is in a far off country and they begin to love this child and this real, you know, deep heart, gut level kind of love without ever even knowing them or meeting them. And that's similar to the way that God is speaking to here. But even the next thing, when they do go and adopt this child and bring them home, they, they're kids who don't look very much like their parents. And although it is a great and beautiful thing, what this is talking about is that we were made in the likeness of God. We we bear his image. A better illustration would be that we were born of God and then the enemy stole us. And God is on a rescue mission to bring us back into the family. Verse 13. 
Grace and how he came, grace and who he came for, grace for real life. Again, not just for salvation one day, for real life today. Here's this extraordinary verse in John chapter 7. And if you've been with me in one of my huddles or DGs, you've heard me talk about this. God is still raking me over the coals with this passage. I don't think I have it on the screen. In John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out in a loud voice, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living waters. Out of his heart will flow living waters. John goes on to explain, he was talking about the Holy Spirit that was to come. This invitation to come to Jesus and drink, whatever thirst you have, drink from me and a river of life, Jesus says, will flow out. Jesus offers real life, real satisfaction, real joy, real purpose that will not be satisfied any other way. The other things we talked about that we look at for self-salvation, a better plan, better goals, losing 20 pounds, losing 50 pounds, gaining a few pounds, gaining more muscle, solution to COVID, political, technology, any of those. Real joy, real peace doesn't come through that. Jesus says the only way that you get that kind of satisfaction is to come and drink of me. And this is my encouragement to you this morning that you would come and drink of Jesus Whether you're far from God or mad at God or confused about things or discouraged or whatever, that you would come to Jesus and drink. And I know it's a weird metaphor. What Jesus is saying, that there's a thirst within your soul that only I can satisfy and his invitation to come to him. Listen, when this pandemic happened, we were all a bit disoriented, weren't we? Some of us still a little disoriented. We were headed home from the beach. I wish we would have just stayed there for seven months. We're going to shelter in place. 14 days to flatten the curve. Anybody remember that? That was a long time ago. Every part of our schedules and plans were changing. If I can be honest with you, this was so hard on me. Seriously, it got so bad at one point. I was so confused, so discouraged. Literally, Ashley came to me and said, so if you didn't pastor, what, what would you do? And I don't know if she was being serious or not, but I was like, nothing. I, I don't know anything else to do. Being asked to do things so far out of our skill set. You know me. I hate talking on the phone. And now the main way that I minister to you is on the phone. And it is grace upon grace that God has allowed me to walk through that and actually enjoyed some of it. My best friends are quitting ministry. Many of our people are suffering. People are literally dying. Every expert was telling the church in those early days to prepare for half of the giving to go away. To say it was tough is an understatement of the year. I have never worked harder in my life and saw less results. And I was in a bit of a funk. And this is me apologizing in a sense to you that For the funk. But one of the things that I didn't give up was just reading through God's word. Sometimes forcing myself. 
It's crazy. I had spent hours upon hours studying things that didn't matter, like micron-level molecules and mask sizes and Wuhan, China. Who knew about Wuhan before this, right? We studied a million things that we could do nothing about, and then we neglected the one thing that actually brings nourishment to our souls. And I was reading this in John 7, and God did such a work in my heart. Come to me. Drink from me. I heard him just say it, even my name, Luke. Drink from me. It's like I had a, the river of God that I have tasted and experienced and welled up even inside of me. And I've seen God do some incredible things through my obedience to him. And sometimes even in spite of my obedience to him. You know how beavers block a river? They just start putting the logs in place and logs in place so that they can fish easier and have their little den. I, I kind of felt, that's kind of the mental picture I had in my mind in that moment as I was walking with God. Just stick by stick and log by log, my God just seems further and further. Logs of doubt and fear and insecurities of disappointment, my lack of understanding of grief and sorrow and discouragement, they just seem to pile up one on top of the other. And instead of taking those things to Jesus, I just kept stocking, stacking them up. And then Jesus in his grace, through his word, removes the fog. Isn't that amazing? If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Let him come near to me and be satisfied. Let him quit trying to earn salvation on his own merit. It'll never happen. Let him never quit trying to get peace and joy outside of walking with the God of the universe. It'll never happen. And something broke through that day, and I gave all those things back to God. I literally verbally prayed, God, all these problems and all these issues and all these people I just give to you. And I just felt the dam just broke open and then the Holy Spirit of God invaded my heart, my living room. Friends, take the thirst that you have, the thirst that you have and take it to Jesus. Meet him in the word. I encourage you to read John's gospel and you're going to see these seven claims that Jesus makes about himself, that he's the good shepherd, that he's the door, that he's the way and the truth and the life. Jesus came to make God known. He's told us the truth when most everyone around us just seems to lie to us. And in spite of our sin, he offers grace. Grace upon grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The solution before we ever knew there was a problem. Church, if we're going to stand out as the people of God in the coming months, it's because that we're Jesus' people. Not just Jesus' people in belief or in doctrine, but because in the practice of our life, as Jason talked about last week, we surround ourselves with people 
who continue to point us to Jesus. And we develop practices of reading God's word even when it's difficult so that we can draw near to Jesus. And we become people of prayer, asking God to do the miraculous. And I believe he still can. We're going to take communion here in a minute. But before we do, I just want to give you the opportunity right there at your table. Would you just take a minute and would you just talk to God? Like I did in my, my living room several months ago, would you just bring all the problems to Jesus? And bring all your doubts and your worries and your fears and how difficult your job has become because of all of this and your inadequacies, everything. Just bring it to Jesus. Your stubborn heart. Just bring it to Jesus. Maybe you would even verbally say that prayer. God, I give all these problems and these people to you. honest enough and just tell him Jesus I'm thirsty you said that if I come to you living waters would come out of me from within Lord would you quench my thirst maybe some of you need to spend some time just repenting of sin very specific sin the Holy Spirit might be leading you to right now. Some things that you need to get rid of. Some things you need, practices you need to take on again. Maybe it's just hearing God the Father speak His love over you. Jesus, we love you. With this phrase, grace upon grace, is there any more beautiful phrase? In spite of our sin, in spite of my failure, in spite of my brokenness and my hard-heartedness, in spite of all those things, you came to offer grace upon grace. Or maybe there's some in this room that they don't know you as Father, as Savior, as Lord. I pray that you'd give them the gift of faith that they'd be able to take a step of faith today and trust in you. Others have been hurt pretty bad by the church. Your bride, not acting as they should have been. They've used some of those pains to, as an excuse not to connect with you anymore. Lord, could they hear your voice today calling them back? love, for your truth, for your grace. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen.